everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. Uh, this week I had a head cold, um, not COVID. I took a test. Don't worry, okay? I just feel like I have to say that. Um, so, so I am on Sudafed right now. And, and um, yesterday our, our church, we have a softball team, we, and we played in a tournament. And we played eight, yes, eight softball games yesterday. I played eight softball games. I am exhausted. So I'm on Sudafed. I'm tired and I'm sore, so I don't know what I'm going to say today, to be honest with you. Whatever comes out of my mouth, uh, just don't send me an email. Just give me some grace, and I'll do the best I can uh, to keep that filter as tight as I possibly can, uh, but just show me some grace in that. But the good news is we played eight softball games, and we won the tournament. We won the tournament. Yeah, yeah. So... Market Street Church softball is, is thriving, doing well, and uh, just so you know, as if you care. Okay, all right. So we are uh, talking about, as mentioned by, by George, thank you, George, for, for that, uh, koinonia, koinonia, and it's the idea of, of, of koinonia is this. This has been our definition that we've been working off of, sharing within a common community, or, a, or if you have, you know, see in your Bible the word, or you've heard, or been a part of church, the word fellowship, the f- word fellowship. And oftentimes, um, we associate the word fellowship with, you know, food and, and hanging out, and, and that's a part of it, it's, it's a, it's a, but that's, a, that's a, the skimming the surface uh, definition of koinonia. Uh, koinonia is so much more deeper than that, uh, so much more rich and authentic than that. Uh, it's just the sharing and, and all of these different diverse uh, settings, sharing within a common goal, a common purpose. So for us, as a church, our common goal, our common purpose is, is Jesus, uh, to know Jesus, to have a personal relationship with Jesus, uh, but not to just stay in that place, but we want to grow in our trust of Jesus. We want to grow in our faith in Jesus. We want to become like Jesus to the world, that you are, Jesus said, you are going to be the light of the world, you're to be the salt of the earth, and, and that's, the, that's the purpose, that, that's the common uh, goal that we share that, together. And so we've been looking at this, uh, this idea of relationship and koinonia, what does it look like? And oftentimes it's for church settings and relationships within a church setting is very similar to any kind of other relationships, whether it's a maybe a coworker or or a marriage relationship, or relationships with your children. It's it's this idea, and we sort of been working off of this uh, this this you know design here. It says that um, it starts out just like many relationships. They start out in like the honeymoon phase, or what I, we call the honeymoon hill. Right? This is fun. This is great. This is new. This is exciting. Right? Maybe you've you know went to a church and started going to a church, and you can remember like everything was just perfect. Everybody was just great. You know, the pastor was you know he was on point. He he was biblical, he was truthful, and he was funny, you know, and, and we just enjoyed, you know, all this stuff. And it's just sort of, and then over time, over time, it begins sort of the letdown stage, right? Uh, we, you begin to sort of see the sort of the, the ugliness of, of people, the messiness of people, and because that's just the reality of people, we're messy, right? We're messy. So, uh, so there's sort of the letdown stage and we fi- sort of find ourselves in what we call reality valley, reality valley. And, and, and oftentimes this is where we want to sort of 
give up. We want to give up on the relationships, specifically within our topic. We want to give up on church. We want to write off Christians. We want to say, I don't know, this is not what I thought it was or what, it was, what I thought it was supposed to be. And so we want to just walk away from that. And that's oftentimes what happens. But, but according to the scriptures and, and what Jesus teaches and, and, and the New Testament writers teach about, about this is, is that we need to, the way that we get up to a marvelous mountain kind of a place uh, where we find this, this beautiful kind of community, this beautiful relationships, these relationships that are, that are real and authentic and intimate um, with one another, that we see each other as the scriptures teach about what we are, that we are not just the body of Christ, but we're brothers and we're sisters in Christ. We're, we're a part of the family of God. That's what we are. And so we, how we get there is it happens through serving. It happens through serving one another. It, it, in, and in the New Testament, and we've been looking at them for the last few weeks, it mentions a lot of one another, one another, one another, one another. And that's really, and there's over 20 of them. There's over 20 different, you know, different descriptors of how we one another, one another, and how we serve one another. And so it, it happens. It, it takes sacrifice. It's going to take some sacrifice on our part to serve one another. It's going to take be selfless on our part to, to serve one another. And then eventually what happens is that there'll be some self-discovery and we'll begin to realize who we really are, what our identity is, what, what, we're, what our purpose is in, in this life. And so this is the endeavor and this is the, the hill that I I hope and pray that you want to climb, that you want to pursue, because it can, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing in relationships when we get there, okay? So today, uh, next week, um, actually today, next week, and then and the week after that, we're going to sort of talk about some insider conversations. What, what I mean by insider conversation, that means like this is just for a Christian. This is just for a Jesus follower. This is just for those of us that are part of the body of Christ. This is also for us local church, local church, Marcus Street Church, okay? Because we, I can't control, I can't control what other churches are doing in our community and in in communities around that. We can't control that. But what we can control, what we can control is what, how we act and how we respond and how we treat one another around here. That's what we can control. So, so here's a reputation for a Christian. Here's a reputation for a Christian. And the studies have shown this. I've heard this. I've seen this. And you probably have as well. Reputation for a Christian. Judgmental, homophobic, hypocritical, exclusive, hostile, contentious, and self-righteous. That's a reputation. So when the world looks at the church, and I, I hope and pray that this is not what we are as a church, right? Again, we can only, we can only control who we are. We can't control the church as a whole. But the, oftentimes the reputation for a Christian, and I tell non-Christians all the time, don't, don't become a Christian because you know one. Don't become a Christian because you know a Christian. Become a Christian because of who Jesus is, right? Who Jesus is. And I hope that somebody encounters you and you're like Jesus and they want to become a Christian because they see Jesus in you. Are you with me? 
And so our reputation is oftentimes like this. And the reason is, the reason is because of how we misuse this topic that I'm going to talk about today. The reason why, the reason why we as Christians have this reputation is because of this exact topic, this exact topic. So we're going to be looking at um, a situation in a church in Corinth, okay? Now, if you ever have somebody tell you that, man, I wish my church was like the church in Corinth, you need to run away from them because the church in Corinth was a terrible terrible church. They had so many problems. If you're a student of the word of God, I'm telling you, you'll, you already know this. You're thinking, wow, they were, they were a complete, complete mess of a church. Why were they a complete mess of a church? Because they had people in their church. They had people in their church. And, and the reason why is because they allowed the people, so the people in their church allowed their cultural things to sort of seep into their church. They allowed their cultural things to, to be per, permeate into their, their local body. And that, as a result of that, they became kind of messy and really messy, messy enough that it needed to be handled, okay? And so in Corinth, it, they, were, they were hedonists. They were hedonists. This idea of word hedonist is this idea of like, if it, if it feels good, if it feels good, it must be good. It must be right. Like they, they were willing to explore every urge that they wanted to explore, you know, any, any sensuality that they wanted to have for themselves. That's the, what they, that's what they did. Corinth was, the city was just like that. They were, they were hedonists. There was pleasure, you know, you, it's about self. It's about self gratification. It's all of these things that what Corinth was about. They were very hedonists. They were also humanists. So they weren't just hedonists that they, all they wanted to do was pursue pleasure, but they were humanists, which a humanist is, is someone who says, man, woman, humanity, we can do it and we don't need the help of any deity. Man, woman, human, we can do it and we don't need the help of any God at all. Man, with reason and with logic and intellect, man can accomplish whatever man wants to accomplish. So this is the mindset in Corinth. They were hedonist and they were humanist. They were hedonist and they were humanist. As a matter of fact, an extreme hedonist and or humanist, there was actually a term that they called them, Corinthians. It didn't matter, listen, it didn't matter where you were in the known world. It didn't matter where you were in the known world. If you were a hedonist or humanist, they just had a one term coined for you. Oh, you're a Corinthian. Oh, you're a Corinthian. Oh, you're a Corinthian. That's what they were called. So this is the church in Corinth that they're having to deal with. And a lot of this hedonist mindset and a lot of this humanist mindset were infiltrating into the church. And, is, and here's an example of this, okay? Here's an example. And if you think the Bible is boring, you should check this out, okay? Here's what happened, okay? Paul's writing um, 
in 1 Corinthians, now this is probably actually his second letter to the church in Corinth, but we don't have, that didn't, that didn't withstand the test of time and history. And so that we, we only have this, this first letter here, where we call it 1 Corinthians, but it most likely was his second. You don't need to know that. Okay, all right, verse one. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and sexual immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles or the pagans, okay, or the non-believers or the non-church followers. Namely, that someone has his father's wife. Gross, right? This is, so he says, listen, he says, this has been reported that is happening that not even non-Christians, they even think of this and they go, this is happening, this is happening within the church that, that someone is having sexual relationships with their stepmother. Now, if you're a child in this room, we have childcare available for you. If you, have, okay, so that's why we have these things, okay? So we can have adult conversations, okay? So this is what's happening within the church. And it was reported, and as a matter of fact, it was reported all throughout, you know, different cities and areas. Of, like, like the, did you hear about that church in Corinth? Like, they had somebody in that church that was, you know, with his father's wife, okay? His stepmother, okay? Then it says in verse 2, you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead. So in other words, here's what they were doing. They were saying like, oh, you know, we're like the most progressive church around. Like our church, we bring in every type, like every kind and like everybody's welcome. Like and none of that is bad. That's only part of the story. That's only part of it. Like I want to be a church where everybody, everybody, everybody feels welcome. But if there's sin, we don't allow that to stay. If there's sin, we don't allow that to, to continue. If especially if when they profess Christ, that we, they don't stay where they're at. And so they were bragging about how, how awesome their church was, that they were like Jesus in a sense, that they were a church that just hung out with sinners and that's what they allowed and that's what they had happen. But they didn't, they didn't have the rest of the story, which was we don't want people to stay in their sin. We don't want people to continue to live in their sin. We don't want to be a place where we just allow sin to take place. Why? Because that's the thing that Jesus died for. That's the thing that Jesus died for. But they were arrogant about it. And instead, he says, they did not mourn. They did not mourn. In other words, they were allowing sin to happen within their church. And instead of it breaking their hearts, they were arrogant about it. They were boasting about it. They were proud of it. You see, for us, sin should break our hearts. For us, when we see sin in our lives, it should break our hearts. When we see sin in other people's lives, it should break our hearts. It should break our hearts. And they weren't mourning about it. <clears throat> they were arrogant about it. And so, for example, Jesus, so you don't remember the story of Lazarus? Remember when Jesus showed up uh, to Lazarus and he met his sisters there, Mary and, and Martha there? Remember, remember the story? And so it, it's in John 11. And so Jesus shows up. Now, 
I believe that Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. Lazarus died. I believe Jesus, God, he knew exactly what was going to take place. That he was going to, you know, God was going to use that in that moment to resurrect Lazarus out of the tomb. But you know what's interesting? The shortest verse in the Bible, the shortest verse in the Bible is this. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Why? 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 So knowing that Jesus was going to resurrect Lazarus, knowing that when he showed up, he met his sisters and his sisters were in mourning. Why? Because they were experiencing loss. They were experiencing the loss of their brother. But Jesus, knowing what he was going to do, what, he was, what God was going to you know, have him do, the Father was going to have him do, that Jesus still wept. He still wept. Why? Here's why Jesus wept. Jesus wept because he saw firsthand what sin does to a family. He saw firsthand what the, the pain and the agony and the grief and the mourning that sin brings about. Now, it wasn't the sin necessarily, it wasn't the bad choice of Lazarus that put him to death, but what, the, for the wages of sin is what? Death. The wages of sin is death. Sin ultimately kills us. It's the sin because of sin that we live in a broken world. It's because of sin that we experience disease. It's because of sin that we experience hurt and frustration and aggravation and anxiety. It's because of sin. The root of all the problems in this world is because of sin. And Jesus shows up and they're in mourning and it causes him to mourn. Why? Because he saw what sin does to families. He saw what sin does to relationships. It kills them. And so Jesus said that. Jesus said, listen, I, he says, I'm broken over this. I'm mourning over this. I'm hurting over this because of what sin has done. And so he's going, listen, guys, church, don't be arrogant. Like, be mourning instead so that who have done this deed would be removed from your midst. From, removed from your midst. Then look, he says in verse 3, For I, on my part, though absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged him. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're a Christian, Paul. You don't judge you're not supposed to judge. Paul's like, I judged him who has so committed this and though I, as, as though I were present. And then he says this in verse four. He says, I've, our, I've judged him in the name of, of our Lord Jesus when you are assembled and I with you in the spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus. So in the name of Jesus and by the power of Jesus, you should remove this man. You should judge this man. He says, verse five, I mean, Paul gets even stronger with words, right? He says, I have decided to turn such a person over to Satan for the destruction of his body so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Whoa. This is Paul and the word of God to this church in Corinth. 
And he's saying, listen, I've judged him in the name of Jesus. I've judged him by the power of Jesus. You should remove this man from your midst. I even think that you should turn such person over to Satan for the destruction of his body. He says, I I think you should turn this guy over to Satan. So here's why, okay, here's why. Inside the fellowship, inside koinonia of the Father and his people, we have a special protection from Satan. Inside of koinonia, the relationship that God has with each other, with us and each other, that God says, listen, in that, inside of that fellowship, you and I get special protection from the enemy. In other words, outside of the fellowship of the Father and his saints, we are fair game for Satan. Outside of community, outside of fellowship, outside of the body of Christ, when we choose to go outside of that and live outside of that and be rogue outside of that, we are fair game for the enemy. He is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Paul says this, verse nine. I wrote to you in my letter not to even associate with the sexual immoral people. Verse 10. I did not at all mean with the sexual immoral people of this world or with the greedy or swindlers or with idolaters for then you would have to leave the world. So Paul's going, listen, let me clear this up because this is where the church and this is where the Christian gets it wrong. He says, listen, you have no business judging those who are on the outside of the church or those who are not Christians. You have no business judging that. He says, what what business do we have to judge those who didn't put their faith in Christ, who didn't sign up for this thing called being a Jesus follower. You have no business doing that. He says, don't judge those immoral people of this world, greedy swindlers, idolaters. He could go on and on and on. Because he goes, and then he sort of even makes a joke. He says, if then we would have to leave the world. Who would have to leave the world? Because that's the kind of world that we live in. This is what it was like in Corinth. They were hedonist and they were humanist. He says, but verse 11. But, I, but actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is sexually immoral person or a greedy person or an idolater or even verbally abusive or habitually drunk or a swindler, not even to eat with such a person. Then he says this in verse 12. You all seem shocked right now, right? You're like, this is in the Bible? For what business of mine is it to judge outsiders? You know what Christians are so good at? And you know why we have the reputation that we have? Is because we think it's our business. We think it's our business to judge the world. We think it's our job as as Jesus followers to judge those who are not so-called brothers or sisters in Christ. And we consume 
all of our energy and all of our time and all of our effort trying to fix this world. It's broken. And the reason why it's broken is because of sin. And so Paul says this, do not, no, go back, go back, go back. You're fine. Do not judge those. Let me, sorry, let me read this right. Do you not judge those who are within the church? Do you not judge those? Like, like as if like, you're not doing this? Like you're spending so much time judging those outside the church, spending so much energy trying to fix culture, trying to get all caught up in culture wars. (laughs) Let me just break it to you. When it comes to culture wars, we already lost. Sorry. But we does, it doesn't mean that we can't win within our community of being salt and being light. But there's an important element to this that must be done. We need, we need to do a better job and I'll get to how we do that in a second, okay? At judging those who are within the church. Let's finish what Paul's saying in verse 13. <clears throat> but those who are outside, God judges. That's, that's God's business. What culture? Culture, that's God's business. God will judge that. Remove the evil person from among yourselves. Now, why? Why? Well, because of what it says in verse six. Okay, we skipped verse six for a reason, because this is why. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Paul's like, guys, you know why you need to remove this man, the sexually immoral man from your midst is because he's like, even though he's one man, he's a little leaven and he's leavened the whole lump. He's like yeast. And you, I think many of you have been in church long enough to know like yeast, a little bit of yeast in dough permeates through and it, and it causes it to rise and it causes it to expand. It just it doesn't take a lot and it, it, to do that. And so Paul's saying, listen, a little bit, a little bit of sin leavens the whole lump of dough. And you know this financially. You know that small amounts, small amounts deposited in something over time eventually accumulates. You know this, right? Small amounts deposited into something over time, eventually over time accumulates. This is how it works with sin. A little bit of leaven, a little bit of leaven, leavens the whole lump. And that becomes with any sin issue, any sin issue that we have in our, lump, in our lives. Listen, oftentimes we find ourselves at a place where we wonder, how did I allow that 
to get into my life? How did I allow this thing, the sin issue, whatever it is for you, maybe it's jealousy, maybe it's greed, maybe it's drunkenness, maybe it's anger, maybe it's, um, you know, gossip, you know, maybe it's some sort of sexual immorality, you know, whatever it is for you, here's what I know, and here's what you know. It started out with something small. If you want to go back and retrace and, and your steps and look back at, to a place where you're going, how did this get so you know, big in my life? How did this get to a place where this now controls me? You'll, you'll discover that it, it just started out with something small. It started out with something small. A, a, a silly example of this um, is this. Um, this week, um, I walk out to my garage. I open my door, walk out to my garage. I open up my refrigerator. We have a refrigerator in our, in our garage, right? First world uh, problems, right? All right? We have two refrigerators, uh, you know. So I open up my refrigerator in my garage, and then next thing I know, I hear a cracking, and I have the shelf, the shelf unit on the wall of my garage, which keeps all of my screws and my nails and my, my you know, all the handyman stuff that I have, which is not a lot, but it, it, it adds up over over time, right? It added up over time. And I open up the door of my, of my refrigerator and I hear this cracking and all of a sudden this big unit, shelving unit comes crashing down off the wall. And, the, I, and I, I don't even understand what happened there other than, other than every time that we opened the door of, uh, to walk out to the garage, it probably moved the wall a little bit. And over time, over time, the wall that kept moving, moving, moving from the door opening and closing, the door opening and closing, it just pulled away those anchors and it pulled away those screws. And eventually over time, it just crashed down. And this week was that moment. This is how it works with us. We think we have things anchored in. We think we have things screwed in. But here's what happens. Anytime you keep moving that wall, moving that wall, moving that wall, eventually your life and your sin is going to eventually start to crash down on you. Because a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Okay, so... What does Jesus teach about judging each other? What does he teach? Okay, here's what, he's, here's what he teaches. Matthew 7. Do not judge. Oh! Whew! Let's pray and you can go home now. The problem is there's not a period. It's a comma. Do not judge, comma, next part, so that you will not be judged. Verse two, for in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. So here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, do not judge, okay, do not judge, Okay, or you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. So, Jesus is saying, you can judge, but know this. If you judge this much, that's what's going to come back to you. If you judge this much, guess what's coming back to you in judgment? That much. 
If you judge this much, guess what's coming back to you? This much, right? He says, for in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. So the question is, the question is, next slide, how do you want to be judged? So be careful, because if you want to judge this much, it's coming back to you. So I would be like, I'm going to judge like this much if needed. Because this is going to come back to me this much. But it's going to come back. And then here's what Jesus says. Verse 3. You've seen this before. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? You're like, do you see that speck that they have right there? Like, look at the speck. Look at Pastor Speck he's got in his eye. Meanwhile, you're judging me, and this is what's going on in your eye. Look at that. Look at that speck. And as, meanwhile, you're just, look at that speck. Look at that speck. Look at that speck there. If Jesus is like, why, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or, he says, verse 4, Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, and look, the log is in your own eye. So what is Jesus saying? So what is, what is the, what, what's the lesson here? What is the lesson? So, oh, I forgot about this. Here's what Jesus responds. You hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. So you're like, oh, it's easy for me to like judge. You judge me, I got the speck in my eye. But you got a log in your own eye. And Jesus is saying, well, we don't want to be called. You don't want to be called this as a Christian, do you? You don't want to be called a hypocrite. So how do we become a hypocrite? How do we become a hypocrite? Here's how we become a hypocrite. A sin that starts out as a speck left unchecked over time grows into a log. That's how you become a hypocrite. When a sin that is, starts out as a speck and it's just a little innocent thing. It's a little innocent anger. It's a little innocent, you know, substance. It's a little innocent, you know, jealousy. It's a little innocent gossip, you know. And I'm not hurting anybody. But sin that starts out as a speck, if it's left unchecked over time, it grows into a log. And we become what we don't want to become. We become, and who Jesus despised, by the way, we become self Righteous. We become self-righteous. And, and self-righteous people are rarely self-aware people. Self-righteous people are rarely self-aware. Self-righteous people, oh, look at the speck, look at the speck, look at the speck. And then, they, then they're going, well, look at your log. Look at your log. You're being self-righteous, but look at your issue. You're talking to me about a speck, and man, you've allowed your speck to go unchecked, and it's grown into a log. And we become self-righteous, and self-righteous people are rarely self-aware people. 
So what's the lesson? What's the lesson? Is the lesson that I should just mind my own business? Is the lesson when I see a brother that has a speck in their eye? Does that mean I should just let it go? No, of course not. Of course not. Because look what Jesus says next after he says, you're a hypocrite when you point out the speck and in reality you have a log. Look what Jesus says next. Next slide, please. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly. Oh, 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 okay, okay, okay. So this must be the lesson that Jesus is teaching. So what's the lesson then? What's the lesson? Your small mess should remind me of my bigger mess. So when you see, in other words, so when you see a speck in someone else's eye, that should remind you of you probably have a log in your own eye. So you never, you, never, you, know, you know when somebody says like, says something and then you think, oh, that reminds me. Oh, that reminds me. So whenever you see somebody that has a mess, even though it's the size of a speck, that should be a reminder that you also are a mess. It should. But that's not necessarily a lesson here. But it's a start. It's a start. So when you see a speck, it should remind you, oh, I also have specks. And I probably, I probably have a log in my eye. That's a start, but that's not what Jesus is saying the lesson is. Here's what he says. You hypocrite, first, so the first thing to do, to take out the log out of your own eye, then you will be able to see clearly. So then you will be able to see clearly. So, so their speck should remind you of your log. You, when you judge them, you should know that, man, I should just turn right back over and I need to deal with the log out of my own eye. Why? Why? So that you can then see clearly and then I added this. This is, and this is not in your Bible. Second, okay, this is not in your Bible, but he says, first, take out the log in your own eye and then you will see clearly. Second, to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is going, listen, I still want you to do that. But you need to first take the log out of your own eye. Then you can clearly see how to help your brother or your sister take the speck out of their eye. But it first starts with you. But then when you deal with you and your log, then you can see clearly how to help your brother or sister take the speck out of their eye. Why, 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 why should I first deal with the log in my own eye? Here's why. 
Because it's about getting to a place where you can appropriately, appropriately approach someone else about the harmful stuff in their life. And you would say, well, that's judgmental. That's judgmental. And I would say, no, that's not judgmental. Next slide, please. Next slide. That's not judgmental. That's loving. That's loving. That's loving. Why? Because love, next slide, love forbids me to see clearly and write you off. Love forbids me, to, when I see clearly, to write you off. Here's what we're so good at as Christians. We're so good at identifying sin in somebody else's life and saying, I'm just gonna write them off. In today's, in today's culture, you know what it's called? Cancel them. Cancel them. I don't like it. I don't agree with it. It's not th- something I want to deal with. So I'm just going to write them off. I'm just going to cancel them. Listen, love, your love for your brother, your love for your sister in Christ, your love and my love for one another, the kind of love that Jesus exhibited, love forbids us when we see clearly to write that person off. And, and love forbids me to see clearly and to just walk away and to just walk off. Love should forbid us to do that. And when we see sin in our, in our brother, look, first of all, it should be a reminder that we also have sin and we need to deal with our own logs. But then Jesus isn't done. He would say, listen, so that you can see clearly, so that you can remove the speck from your brother and sister. Why? Because that's, that's not judgmental. That's loving. It's loving. Because you don't want to see them with that speck. Because here's what you know. That speck left unchecked over time will grow and become a detriment and destructive in your loved one's life. Are you with me? I know this is tough stuff. I get it. I get it. And this is complicated stuff. And this is, this. but listen, this is so important to koinonia. Removing, removing, next slide please. Removing the log out of your own eye is preparation is preparation for removing the speck in another's eye. So when you remove the log out of your own eye, it's, be, it's the preparation. It's the preparation for removing the speck in another's eye. Because here's what, here's what I know. Here's what I know is true about me. The way that I handle me is going to be with kindness and gentleness and compassion. Am I Right? The way, that I want you, the way that I want to be treated is gentle, compassionate, sympathetic, patient. So when you remove the log out of your own eye, that is preparation. The way that you want to be treated 
is the, is the way that you remove the speck out of your brother or sister or spouse or friend or coworker, their eye. That's preparation for that. Because you want to be treated with gentleness. You want to be comforted. You want to be given the benefit of the doubt. So Jesus is going, first thing you need to do, you need to deal with your own log. So that you can clearly see how to treat your significant other in helping them remove the speck in their eye. Because you know, you know, it starts with a speck, but over time, left unchecked, it grows. It grows. So a couple things, a couple things before we wrap up, okay? Koinonia, koinonia offers burdens to be carried. This is the concept that Jesus is talking about. Here's, you know this verse, okay? You know this verse two. Maybe you haven't heard. Brothers and sisters, even if a person is caught in any wrongdoings, you who are spiritual, or in other words, you who can now see clearly because you've taken the time to remove the log out of your eye. You with me? Are to restore such a person in a spirit of what? Gentleness. Why? Because that's what you want for you. Each one looking to yourself so that you are not tempted as well. It's preparation. You like, I, I, those, so those are a spirit that restores us a person. It, with gentleness, each looking to yourself so that you are not, you don't allow that leaven to enter into your life. So that's harmful. Then, verse 2, are you ready for this? Everybody knows this one. Bear one another's burdens. Verse 1, it's about restoring somebody. It's about restoring somebody that is doing wrong. Verse 2, how do we do that? What is koinonia? Bearing one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? You've seen this before a thousand times, and you'll see it a thousand more here. John 13, 34. I am giving you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. When you bear one another's burdens, in other words, when you say, you know what, I'm going to deal with the log in my eye, so that I can help my brother or sister with their speck. And they're going to feel like it's me being judgmental, but it's not. It's loving. And it's loving because you're saying, you know what? I'm a mess, and you're a mess, and we're all a mess, but we're going to bear one another's burdens Together, Why? Because that fulfills the law of Christ. The law of Christ is that you love one another just as Jesus loved you. That you love one another. So it's bearing burdens. That's what this is about. 
bearing burdens. Second point before we wrap up. Koinonia offers the benefits of healing through confession. Okay? Where do I get that from? James. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. A prayer of a righteous person, when it is brought about, can accomplish much. See, why, why, does, why does James tell us to do this? And first of all, you know, remember a few weeks ago, I'm like, all right, who wants to confess their sins right now? I had no takers. No one. But within a smaller dynamic, within a smaller intimate fellowship of koinonia, this is definitely possible and this is definitely necessary. It's necessary. Why? Why, 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 why? Here's why. Because confessing and praying for one another starts the process of healing and seeing clearly. Right? It begins the process of you not getting into a place where you've allowed something that started out as a speck and it's grown into a log. And you know how you nip that in the bud? By confessing to one another, by praying for one another. And that will start the process of you and them and all of us being healed. Being healed of whatever it is that you and I have allowed in our life that has started out as leavened, but it's leavened the whole lump. And for some, we see a brother and a sister and there's a speck. And some, we see a brother and sister and it's a log. And, and for us in Koinonia, what we're talking about, again, this is for us. This is for a Christian. If you're not a Christian in this room, this, is not, this does not apply to you, nor should we judge you. But if you are a brother and sister in Christ, we need to deal with our own stuff so that we can then help one another. And we need to confess our sins and pray for one another because it's this process of healing and seeing clearly. Because James says this, look what he says next. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, like somebody strayed from the truth and then somebody said, listen, I, I, I had to deal with my own log, but now I can see clearly, I want to turn them back. I want to bring them back into koinonia. I want to bring them back into the family. And I don't want them to be on the outside and susceptible to the attacks of the enemy and vulnerable to the enemy and fair game to the enemy. And they may feel like I'm judging them, but I'm not judging you. I'm loving you. Because I don't want you to get hurt anymore. Because I've seen the speck and it's grown. And it's become massive and I want to help you with that. And it starts by you confessing and it starts by us praying for you. He says, so, so somebody doesn't turn back. So then it says in verse 20, 
Let him know that the one who has turned a sinner from the air of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And Peter says it this way. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. What does that mean? What does it mean to cover a multitude of sins? It means that you, you forgive. You offer comfort and you forgive. You offer comfort and you forgive. The idea of forgiving is that you don't owe me anything. The debt is paid. I've got you covered. You ever tell that to somebody? Listen, I'll cover it. I'll cover it. I'll cover it. I'll pay for it. I'll cover it. That's what this means. Brother, sister, it starts in the mirror so that you can then see clearly how you can love someone else and help them with the speck in their own eye. I know, I know, here's what you're wondering. What about the immoral Corinthian? <laughs> you know, the guy that they, Paul says, remove him from your midst. Cut him out, because he's like, he's like cancer in the church. Remove him and turn him over to the destruction of, of his body. Turn him over to Satan. What happened to this guy? Do you know that the Bible actually tells us what happened? So they removed this guy from the church. They removed him out of his fellowship. And you know what this guy discovered? This is so beautiful. Come on, stay with me. I know it's getting late. Stay with me. You know what this guy discovered? This guy discovered that out there, outside of fellowship of the church and the beauty of koinonia in the church, he discovered that it is empty. It's empty. There's no community like the church of Jesus community. He couldn't find it. He couldn't find it. Now we're reading between the lines a little bit, but because we know what happens when Paul writes another letter to the church in Corinth. And here's what happens. Sufficient or enough for such a person in this punishment, talking about the guy with sexual immorality, which was imposed by the majority. So finally the church said, we gotta remove this guy because he's like cancer, he's like a little leaven in the lump in the church. Next verse. So that, on the other hand, you should rather forgive. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins and comfort him. Otherwise, such a person, talking about this guy, might be overwhelmed by excessive Sorrow. This guy, finally, his heart was broken and he just wanted back into the koinonia fellowship of the church. And Paul says, Paul says, next verse, therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. 
beautiful. Beautiful. He couldn't find it out there. But his sin would not be tolerated in here. But he wasn't condemned. He was loved. And he was loved to the point where he had to see and experience what it's like to be outside of the fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ. So that he can be not condemned, but he can be reconciled and restored back into the fold. So that he can be loved and forgiven and comforted. That's the picture of koinonia. Judge not, lest you be judged. Deal with the speck, or excuse me, deal with the log in your own eye so that you can see clearly how to help a brother and sister with the speck in their eye. It's not judging, it's loving. Okay, this week, I'm gonna go online through our means of website or, or social media, and you can watch what Jesus says about the process of how to love someone after you see clearly how to love somebody that has a speck in their own eye. And it's found in Matthew 18, so if you wanna do your own reading, Matthew 18, but I'm gonna teach on it online this week because I certainly ran out of time this week, okay? All right, if you have questions, come see me. I know this is sticky. I'd love to help you try to understand or clear some things up for you as well, okay? Let's pray. Father, whew, ooh, to be in your family, to be in your fellowship is a unique, special, beautiful thing. And God, we wanna keep this holy and set apart. And we, won't, we, we cannot, will not tolerate sin. We won't be arrogant about it. We won't be prideful about it or boast about it but we will be loving about it. We will be loving. We will be willing to bear one another's burdens. We will be willing to have environments where people can feel comfortable confessing sins, feel comfortable praying for one another as they're navigating through some of the specks and some with some of the logs in their own eyes. But Father, I just pray, Lord, that for us, <coughs> for us, it starts by looking in the mirror and addressing some of the issues that we have because when we see them in others, it should be just a reminder to us that we have some issues too. So Father, with this, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that we just don't take this lightly. We just take it delicately and we do it lovingly. And that's the motive, that's the heart behind it. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.